here, Data Protection Breakfast Club, with uh, your good buddy uh, and a friend of mine as well, Sachin Kothari, longtime AT&T guy, and now yeah. the privacy officer at Johnson Controls, which is one of the largest companies in the world that people don't know so much about, but yeah. it's a massive company. And yeah. He's a CPO, so I learned a ton. Uh, it's a great conversation. Yeah, he's awesome, man. And like, what I like, what I like about him is that, um, you know, he's kind of quiet about his business. He's understated, like no fireworks. He's the opposite of me in a lot of ways, like not a lot of antics, right? He's just very like kind of methodically going about his job and career. And he's done some really great things, man. Um, some of the conversations I've had with him over the years about the work they did at AT&T, like, listen, man, some very uh, edge case data privacy issues come up at company like that all over the place uh, from a variety of angles. And he was at, you know, at the helm of a lot of it there. And then now at Johnson Controls, I, I'm sure we'll ask him about this, but like, like the IOT business that that company has, you know, it's like a, it's like a Honeywell type of company. If, if that helps people kind of as a point of reference or like a GE kind of like just touching all sorts of industries and all sorts of, data coming in through iot and other devices that the company manufactures and like he's got to have he's got a big job he's got a big job yeah and they own a lot of companies and there's a lot of data play and i'm also it's also interesting to see the way you go he was at at&t for 18 years or 19 years or something and that like that company shifted so much during that time um just to be to when you hang that long through that type of transition it's um it's it means that you're doing something right because people are listening to you um and th that's a very seismic shift and then to go on to this company that has the breadth and scope that it does um and take the job on that he's taken on um you just have to be able to think a different way i think that's yeah. what it comes down to like we talked about this maybe a little bit on our last at the end of our last show, when we talked about how people at Salesforce conceived of the idea to potentially buy Slack, like people are thinking differently about stuff than maybe we are sometimes. And mm -hmm. he's, he's definitely one of these people that is thinking on a scale that, or is able to think on a scale that, you know, not everybody can think on that scale. It's yeah, I totally agree. Like, and he definitely is a strategic minded person and he lives in strategy. Like, I'm, I can be really tactical. I think you can be really great at a lot of things as tactical, operational, and strategic. I think Sachin's brain is wired for strategy. I think he just lives at the whatever intergalactic level of analysis, looking down at all the moving parts and trying to figure out how they fit. And uh, I'm sure he'll talk about some of this stuff because that's his bread and butter and, and how his brain is wired. Awesome. All right. Here we go. Let's go. <laughs> all right, here we are. The day <laughs> we're here, Sachin, Kothari, and Pedro uh, here to talk about 80s hip hop and maybe a little data privacy as well. But uh, we got into it about Eric B and Rakim before we started, so we just pushed record because this was good. Pick up, pick up, Pedro. You were talking about Rakim. No, Sachin was telling us about like, well, go ahead, Sachin, like about Rakim and how young he was when he got started and comparing yeah. it to his kid. I know I was just thinking of, of, of you know of my kids and I think he was 17 when he when he made that song and and, and the lyrics are just beautiful right it's like it's like painting a canvas with, with those words and and it just I mean, I'm not saying I'm, I love my kids right but getting <laughs> kids who 
from a tennis lesson to a piano lesson would be like, you know, they're painting Kansas moment, right? <laughs> I, I can't, you know, it, it just, I, I think the creativity that flowed out uh, with these lyrics was just, just mind bending. It's particularly at such a young age. That's Amazing. Cool. I love I love Rakim, and I'm so glad we got a hip hop song in here. And I'm glad it's used on on this episode because I know you know a lot about this stuff. But like, my whole identity is tied into like late '80s, early '90s rap music. Like that's how that's to me that was like my Americanization, uh, you know, because I wasn't born here and shit. But like, so for me, like when I see Rakim, I just think of the people I looked up to when I was a kid. Yeah, um, and uh, and I know you kind of share that with me and. Uh, yeah, man, I'm just super proud that like even in our little privacy world, we can talk about this and it now be like mainstream relevant. Like it makes me super right. excited. And Andy, I love that boombox. I'll tell you a cool story. My grandmother had a boombox just like that when we lived when I was a little little boy. My grandparents had a farm in South Florida. We lived on this farm. My grandma had a boombox. Now I want you to picture like a sixty late sixties Cuban lady with a boombox like that on a farm in Florida playing Mexican love ballads because that's her favorite music. Oh, nice. <laughs> I'll never forget. It, it was one of the best holiday gifts I ever got. I think I was like eight or something. I got a, a box just like the one behind me. And I was just, I lost it. I was like yeah. rap music, 80s music. Like, I mean, I just listened to an, a, like a mix of whatever. And then as I got older, I got different and better, better, you know, as I got older, but I still never forget. It's one of the best gifts I've ever gotten. Uh, Same here. Same here. I, man, like, I, I even had like, um, like the, the, like a double decker. What do you call it? Like that the had two tapes. You could, oh, you know, if you had. Yeah, record from one tape, tape to the other. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, let me copy that. I love that. Deck, right. And the ability to record when a song comes on the radio. It's like, I, you know, it's like the little DJ and me just kind of came to like, oh, I got to get the song. How, how old? Uh, so speaking of Rakim being really young. How old was Max Schrems when he filed his initial complaint? <laughs> right. I mean, you know, he's no, he's no, he's not Rakim, but uh, no, he's, he's definitely not Rakim. Impact. He has had an impact, whether you, whether you, whether you dig it or not. <laughs> no, I totally like, agree. And look, man, he's going to have a long career and probably do some more interesting things. Um, that's a cool analogy, by the way. I mean, shout out to Rakim being way cooler than Max Schrems, but like. I get the point. I get the sentiment. You know what? You, your boombox made me think of something. I'm going to do a little corporate plug and they don't sponsor this podcast, but I have a Discover card and a lot of people make fun of me. They're like, well, that's like mom credit card, but look at my Discover card. Uh, Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? Anyway, shout out to Discover card. Feel free to sponsor the the, the podcast. We'll take the, we'll take the cash. <laughs> I bet you Rakim is so old he uses Discover now. <laughs> I think Rakim lives in a a cash moneyless economy, man. I think he just kind of moves around and does his own thing. Yeah. Well, I'd love to see him feature. Uh, where are they now? You picked the song, Pedro. Why don't you tee it up, tee it up and kick it off here? Uh, well, let me tell you, like, we've done a lot of these and uh, so far, and uh, it's always been with our friends, but I got to say, like, Sasha is one of my closest friends. So I'm super excited that he's here with us today. Um, We've had a lot of great times together and we met on the privacy circuit, but like we hit it off. Like, you know, I mean, we, we know each other's families. Like we, we, when we go to conferences, honestly, like I love going just to hang out with you. And um, 
and also like your mentorship and help even in deciding to come work at Facebook. Andy, I obviously you're in that same sphere, like on my board of directors, but so is Sasha. Like Sasha is a guy I'm like, how are we going to do this? Is this the right thing? Keep me smart here. And um, I'm just really excited that you agreed to join us, man. So like for me, it's like an honor to have like you here and I'm kind of humbled by the fact that you said yes. So thanks for joining, man. Oh, oh, absolutely. How could I not do this? Are you kidding me? You know, it's like the only thing I, I, I've been jealous of, like, yeah, like well, what's up? How do Pedro and Andy's doing? You know, it's like, Andy, come on, we're show some love here, right? So yeah, well, I was waiting. I was waiting something till, with you, Andy. <laughs> I was waiting till the music till we shifted to music because and we first did movies, and I don't know your movie vibes, but I know your music vibes. So I was like, as soon as we do music, like that's when we need to get Sasha in here. So that's kind of why the delay. Also, like we've polished, we're like better at this now, um, and so like I think it's like a cool time to get you on here. But um, no, absolutely, I'm just giving Andy a time but no absolutely this is, this is great andy didn't want you here like i kept saying your name and andy was like man screw that guy he's a jerk i was like nah man so i had to pay him 50 bucks um and then here we are um so i always tee up with some random question i know we've been talking about random stuff so one more random thing and then we'll get into your career because i really i know uh it's super interesting and people are gonna want to hear about it but like if we're talking 80s hip-hop Sasha like do you have a favorite artist favorite song like what's your vibe oh that's that's a tough one man you know I, there's so many look hip-hop in 80s it's it, it, I can't just think of one genre like, like I mean you know I this is I don't know if I've shared this with you one of the things that I I, I still love music right but um on the side as you know going through school I, I supported myself was also being a DJ Right. I didn't know this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, this is not, this is not no, you know, Paul Oak with all the main <laughs> Paul Van Dyke type of stuff, but, you know, just a more of a side kind of fun gig, you know, so it was fun. So, but I, I love music. So there, back to your question. I don't think there's, especially 80s, I can't name a single one, like, to go to song. I just, I mean, I have a, it's a potpourri. I mean, the thing is, it's not just potpourri of rap. But for me, it's a potpourri of rock, rap, um, I mean, hip hop, and and these these genres that were just starting to build, even on on the EDM side, right? There's there's back back in the love some EDM, yeah, it's like techno, or it's you know, but it was still building, right, in the stages. So it's like a house and techno. So it's like I, I kind of have a potpourri of of so many different genres. That I, I think when you're when you're the ages that we are, and we we came up in the in the eighties and the nineties. That's when you're forming your opinions about things, and music is a big part of that. Like, yeah, your parents yeah. talking to you about. I've, I discovered my parents' record player, and they had all this like Beatles and Zeppelin and like actual original records and Woodstock records, and like, but they had an eclectic mix. They had like some folk music, and they had some like hard rock, and they had all sorts of stuff. And so I got to play around with it. And and then when you get to, into into older there's cassette singles and the boom boxes and all the stuff that we grew up with and i think it's i i couldn't agree with that assessment more because you're just experimenting and learning and listening to stuff and figuring out what what you like and maybe what you like a little more or less it's it's a great time what about you andy did you did you have like like a favorite artist or um i don't i mean not necessarily i think i think i got um when i was in like I don't know. I, I 
like Guns N' Roses came out, like kind of the- I love Guns N' Roses. Destruction, right? Like when I was in that formative age, and that's not to say I just like that kind of music, but like that was a pretty powerful record when that comes out. And the first time I remember watching MTV and seeing the video for Paradise City and Sweet Child of Mine. And like, those are pretty, those are some of the first videos. They're showing a lifestyle I could never imagine, you know? And uh, it's just, that was, that was the first, I have an indelible memory of those for sure. I'd say for me, like in the late eighties, I, I mean, LL Cool J and, uh, now LL Cool J for me was pretty big, but I, I'll say like, and I probably shouldn't have been listening to this when I was six or seven years old, but I love Ice T, man. <laughs> like I just love Ice T. <laughs> I remember seeing one of his album covers, and he was like on some fancy. I think it was like a Corvette or something, like you know, bikini-clad women, like total tropes and awful stereotypes. But um, I just, I, I grew up in the in, in, in neighborhoods where like I just, I thought that was the most amazing thing as a kid. I was like, oh my god. And then you listen to Ice T, and there's a lot of political undertones to some of his music, and, and kind of. You know, the rebelliousness of it but really resonated guys, with me. Did you guys experiment with like, I mean, like hammer? I mean, like, yeah. like I wore all, hammer pants. All man. this stuff happened, you know, you can't avoid it. You can't, you can't say I just liked iced tea, right? Because no, I know, no, I, know I wore you, Z Cavaricis, those I weird pants. Did, and I know you guys listen to parents just don't understand. And like that, that album spoke to me, you know, <laughs> like my parents <laughs> don't understand. They don't. <laughs> they still don't, by the way. They still don't. But um, yeah, no, that's a good recap on music, man. Um, I really want to get into Sasha's career because he spent like ad tech wise, your deep mind. Sasha, why don't you tell us like how you ended up at AT&T and maybe like so, you did so many different things. Like maybe just highlight. Give us some yeah, of the highlights. Know, it's funny, man. Just in privacy, you know, it's, as AT&T was going through its own transformation i was going through my own transformation right and, and particularly in data privacy so i you know i one of the first 18 teams i was with the company for almost 20 years so it's one of the first gigs i second third but one of the major gigs i i i, I had coming out of school um and i really you know i first started um as a pro in program management and looking at policies you know this is if you can back in the day about 24 years, 22 years ago, um, when AT&T, if you, if you remember, it, it was broken up into silos, right? You had, you had Ameritech, you had Pacific Bell, Nevada Bell, New England Bell, Southwestern Bell, and they were just in the clubs of coming together, right? And that's when I entered the company. So one of the first things, like, oh, Sachin, perfect timing. Um, you know, all these companies have their own little privacy notices, but can you just help us create one and, you know, we'll just use that one, right? Easy job. <laughs> so in that club, okay, sounds interesting. But as you kind of open the layer by layer, you start to notice every uh, telco operated differently, right? But even from operational things, what they considered um, personal information was so different from Southwestern Bell to uh, New England Bell to Nevada Bell. So it wasn't just having a one policy, it was literally changing the entire operational framework for five subsidies, right? <laughs> it's not, you can just put a, slap a policy together and say, hey, here it is, right? 
So, but that also entailed severe amount of painstaking amount of negotiations with these presidents who've been in at the helm of, of this regional telco for 20, 30 years, right? And they're like, who are you to tell me how to run my company, right? So there was a lot of that. And then there's a lot of, okay, let's come to a consistent framework. So I think that was my first kind of um, operational deep dive to say, wait a minute, it's more than just words. We've got to actually make sure we're doing this. How do we efficiently do it? How do we consistently do it? How do the customers see us doing it? How do we internally do this, right? So that, that was my first kind of, wasn't really thinking of privacy, but it's more just operations, right? The, the strategic operations. And, you know, uh, speeding through that transition, you know, as we started to grow, um, we, you know, we're looking at mobility acquisitions, right? And then, then the direct TV acquisitions came about. And then particularly that's when we were in the midst of ad tech, right? And I think I still, I don't know how others do it, but as a, as a major provider, we were probably one of the first ones to put a framework on ad tech together, right? I mean, literally I had a governance process that looked at every publisher, every ad agency, what type of um, technology landscape it was using down to the weeds of, are they using JavaScript? Are they using, what are they collecting? Um, how long are they keeping it, right? And literally ran them through a governance framework. So in a nutshell, it, you know, when when ad tech started to explode, right? I would say around for AT&T is almost about 10, 12 years ago. Um, we had an amazing framework for it, right? So that really kind of helped us drive some of the bargaining, some of the negotiation with the big, some of the big companies on there, specifically even in Facebook or even in, in Google, like we had some. <laughs> some uh, contracts that went negotiated for over two years, right? Because they couldn't come to agreement. And, and GDPR happened like, well, like, look, you could do it for GDPR. You certainly could do it for us, right? So they're like, oh, okay. And then customize the offering, no native tags, no, you know, more customized offerings and what have you. So it, it, was, it, was, it was really cool. So with AT&T, I really got to kind of play in so many different fields. And particularly with a company that's, you know, regulated in the U.S. by the by two major agencies like the FCC and FTC, there was a lot of cross barriers to pass through, right? In terms of CP&I, which is customer network uh, network proprietary information, that's the telco data, right? And then there was ad tech data, and then there was specifically even experiences on all the promotional sales that were happening, saying on our FTC Section Five, you know, are we one, are we offering one click away advertising disclosures and what have you, right? So I got to play in all of these spaces, which was, you know, it was it was painstaking at times, but in terms of understanding, being able to know what's going on under the hood, what the expectation is, and then doing it at a max market level was just was phenomenal. So I you know what you know what's interesting. Yeah. You know what's super interesting, Andy, is like I'm listening to Sachin talk about all of this stuff, and it's such a different perspective than what most of our guests talk about because most of our guests like me and you are kind of on the front end of ad tech, right? Like two apps or, you know, the actual ads themselves, which AT&T touches that stuff too. But like a lot of what Sachin is talking about is like the back end, right? Like the piping of all of this, the, the infrastructure that goes into making the internet happen, nevertheless, like ad networks and, and, and advertisements. Um, and it was super interesting um, to hear about like all of the, 
inside baseball of combining all of these components of AT&T into one cohesive privacy strategy, while at the same time dealing with the same, all the external uh, stakeholders that me and Andy are used to talking about on this podcast. I just don't know how companies like AT&T, Verizon, um, and, and some of the big, like huge infrastructure players I don't know how you guys do it. I, 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 I don't know. I, it, it just feels like, I don't know, Andy, where, it feels like too big a problem, too, too big a mission. Uh, I'll let Sachin talk a little more, but my, I, my sense is that it is, having been in both big and little companies, um, I think my sense is that it's, it's like any really large, messy project that just kind of goes in fits and starts. A lot of people have to weigh in. It takes a long time. You make progress, you go backwards, you make progress, you go backwards, things change, things evolve, they change, they shift again. You buy a company, things change again. Litigation happens, you change again. I mean, it's, it's just this long evolutionary process. And it, to me, it always ends up being more about mindset shift than anything else. You know, there's, there's obviously the people doing the work and, and you know, like figuring out what, uh, what data is in what part of the organization and, and what, um, you know, as you, as you mentioned, doing contracts and things like that. But there's, there's this mindset shift that has to happen, in, particularly in a company, um, certain companies where you're like, okay, we are kind of a data company now. And that takes a long period of time shift. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And particularly, you know, when you were putting look at it from a perspective, like, like, look, we talked about ad tech, we talked about uh, um, uh, having, a, you know, from a customer's perspective, look, they're a customer, they might have a landline with you, they might have a, a mobile device with you, or they might have just internet with you, right? They just want the experience to be able to have um, these mechanisms of, of being able to control their data, right? Now, when you look at companies like AT&T, who Right, who's been in, um, in in the industry for a long time? You've got these old legacy systems, and you've got all of these new systems, these new applications, new APIs plugging in, and they don't always cooperate, right? So, but when it comes to customer expectations, they're like, "Hey, I want to go to one place and 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 do this." Like whether it's consent mechanisms to be able to say, "Hey, this is what I want to do for." related to advertising ability. This is what I want you to do for my permission marketing. This is what I expect for sharing my CP&I. I'm, I'm just gonna go here. I wanna be able to press a couple of clicks and do it, right? It's a nightmare <laughs> on the back end when you've got 30 different systems that are managing this, right? Trying to come up with one unique experience. So it, it, it's definitely challenging. To Andy's point about culture shift and you use different terminology, but I think we're saying the same thing. Like, how do you, from a private, from a privacy seat, right? Like, how do you drive privacy consciousness in an organization that's disparate like that? Like, how do you, how do you get, it? how do you do it? Yeah, you know, that's a that's a great question. Look, I, from my perspective, I've always taken the discipline of being an enabler. So even, you know, privacy being jointed at the hip on different parts of legal, you know, we're looked at sometimes as very much as a defensive posture saying, oh, they're going to be the ones that say no, right? And but you two are completely different, right? But most, most, most other companies' culture is it's very much, hey, this is a, you know, protective mechanism. Let's make sure we're doing X, Y, Z. Um, but, you know, whether it's myself or 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 um my team I always have kind of 
embedded this thought process, tricky thought process saying, hey, show them we're here to help, right? We're here to enable the business, right? And once you are able to articulate that with a very specific data strategy, I think that is what it entails uh, getting cooperation, collaboration, folks to be able to say, okay, I get it. This is what we need to do, right? But if you come in with this posture of, okay, well, look, I want to understand you want to do this, but legal obligations or these parameters allow us to only use this and, and kind of leave it there, right? But if you're constantly, if, you, if, if, if your clients, your constituents see you as someone who is really there to help them versus make it hard for them, um, I, immediate collaboration comes out. And you know, like I, I've seen this kind of, you know, I, I've seen this uh, this evolve through, right? And there's definitely still, even when I go to these privacy conferences, you, I, you, I'll still see and hear folks about really much of a defensive posture and not so much of an offensive posture, right? Even when they're talking about what to go to the board with, right? Well, look at all the great things we're doing. But my question always, always comes back to them saying, okay, you're doing all this stuff right you're doing all these tons of assessments you're you're helping litigation you're helping this but what are you doing to drive growth right and then they're thinking and thinking well you know and they struggle with that answer right so in, in back to your question Pedro I think if you're able to drive that question in terms of a growth strategy even with what you're doing as a defensive posture but still focus and show how this defensive posture helps your offense is what changes the game and it changes the collaboration and cooperation from 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 your constituents i'd, I'd like your take on that pedro now you're a few weeks into a new gig where it's it's a policy job and and, and not it's different than than a straight up lawyer job have you experienced that difference i mean you you and i the three of us are cut from the same cloth like help the business get things done, do not stand in the way, uh, as you said, show your value on the offense, right? Might get close to revenue, get close to products. You know, have you experienced a difference with being in a policy role versus a legal role? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's early, but uh, there is a different, uh, there's definitely a, hard to explain but yes the answer is yes and I'm, I'm in the ads i run the ads policy team which if you want to get close to revenue work in ads at facebook right i mean you know like it is the revenue and so there's a lot of pressure on my team to deliver uh on actionable uh policy that um that that helps the company continue to grow and thrive um i think sasha made some great points and and one of them that I wholeheartedly agree with is that you have to be, you have, what, from what, whether you're coming from the legal department's perspective or a privacy practitioner perspective or a policy perspective, your strategy, whether as an individual or on your own, you know, in your organization has to be to enable the business goals as long as they're ethical and lawful, right? Like that, you know, to enable those goals and, and, one thing that I've always been adamant about, and I know you guys are the same, is that like reactiveness is not a strategy. So waiting for things to happen to you and then addressing them is not a good way to grow a business and thrive and continue to be successful. And then the other one is uh, 
uh, silence is not a strategy, right? Like just saying nothing and doing nothing is also not strategy. So I think interestingly at Facebook, you know, I've only been here a little while, but a lot of energy is being put into anticipating challenges and addressing them ahead of time to get out in front of uh, the, the next privacy challenges that all tech companies are going to face. And I, I love to have the opportunity to be a part of that kind of crystal balling and, and making sure some of the mistakes of the past aren't repeated, right? And I think that guidance comes all the way from the very top in my company. But I know that I'm seeing that same shift in all of privacy, which is, I think, for the last 10 years or so, especially ad tech, but all of privacy has been very much like, well, let's react to problems. Let's react to data breaches. Let's react to uh, new regulation. And now it's like, OK, well, how do we help shape the future in a way that is both privacy friendly and privacy conscious and also allows businesses to operate? So I think the answer is, uh, I think I, I agree with Sasha. Like, I like the idea of like, you know, providing a good defense means immersing yourself in the offense um, because you just have to do it. Uh, otherwise you're just a blocker. And first of all, nobody wants to work with blockers, but more importantly, blocking things doesn't achieve anything um, like in and of itself, right? Um, so I, I just don't think it's extremely productive to approach our roles, whether it's from the policy, legal or business side as what we can't do more to think about it. Like what can we enable and how do we configure things so we don't keep running into things we can't, we shouldn't do or can't do. I'm curious, uh, I'm curious about your shift from AT&T to, to Johnson Controls and what that was like to go to be somewhere so long and then go to a company that has different things going on yeah into a different into a cpo role um i'm just really curious about that because i'm not sure everyone necessarily knows exactly what your current company does but it's a lot of cool stuff yeah so i think like i'd like to hear that like it's clear to me maybe why you thought it was interesting to go there. <laughs> i'd like uh, it'd be cool to hear more yeah no and no, i think that's a great question like I, this this change happened believe it or not very organically and and you know i wasn't even um anticipating making such a shift change, right? And this opportunity came up um, and Twitter uh, knocked on my door and I'll be honest, I didn't know what Johnson Controls was <laughs> before, right? I, and not a lot of people do, right? And, I, and I, I knew they were an industrial manufacturing business, but beyond that, that's where my knowledge stops, right? But as I dug in and I looked at the rack of the position, I said, wait a minute, this is, this doesn't sound like the Johnson controls I know, right? And I dug in more and, and look, I'll put it this way. Look, I, after being in 20 years in the business, very consumer focused, right? And, and, and telco and ad tech and, and entertainment and, and, and some of the using some of the most um, edge uh, use cases, right? But still for me, what was missing was the ability to work in IoT, not just talk about it, but actually be in it, right? And to be there in the infancy, set these, set these parameters, set these frameworks. Same thing with AI, facial recognition. And my mind is a, as a big technology, a tech, technophile, I, I love, I love technology changes, particularly like this, particularly all automation, right? And that's exactly what Johnson Controls is. And, and I thought about this, wow, this is exactly what I always had saying working in this space. I want to really do this at a multinational space on top of that, right? at and is very US focused. So believe it or not, 
this particular role kind of, in my mind, checked off every box that I had anticipated build up in back of my mind, right? Um, and it was a very organic move so for me. So I said, like, wow, this makes sense. You know, I'll mostly do it for free because this is what I love. This is what well, I want to get into. I wouldn't go that way. Let's calm down on okay. free. As, all right, all right, all right. as your agent, I'm going to veto that one because I need my 10%. <laughs> But uh, let me ask you one thing. Let me ask a question about yeah. what you just, you mentioned something that you and I have talked about in your new role a bit. And I think it'd be super interesting for, for our audience, which is like the intersection of your work now with, um, with biometrics. Uh, and you mentioned facial recognition, but biometrics more broadly. I know it's been an area of focus for you since you joined Johnson Controls. Um, just interested in getting a sense from you uh, uh, about like, where you see privacy and biometrics heading, how it is going to impact Internet of Things and the things that you guys are doing at Johnson Controls, but also just at large. Like, yeah. biometrics is such an interesting topic, and you're right in the middle of it. So, share. No, absolutely, absolutely. I think that's a great question. You know, right now, look, when we, as observers, when we see biometrics, what, what do we see? Um, we see nothing but bands and, and these kind of these these edge use cases that are misusing the data points, right? Um, and that's all we hear about, right? We don't necessarily always hear about the good that it's bringing. But look, when it comes to regulations, biometrics, particularly in Europe, there's always already is a regulation known as GDPR that stipulates exactly how you can use it in what form, right? You, North America, US is one of the fewest countries that we haven't really tackled this issue, right? That's why we're starting to see flavors of, of these local regulations, these bands, surface, what have you. But I, I almost compared to ad tech, right? Looking at ad tech, what's happening, right? Like, look, there's the self-governance regulation that, that people were saying, we're, we'll, we'll comply to this consortium and this is how we'll honor consent mechanisms and transparency and what have you, right? Now, because of the technology usage and, and the rapid shift, you know, that's being challenged, right? But what are regulators doing? In my mind, regulators are going after the edge use cases. They're going after bands, right? And technology use cases. And I think the same thing is happening in biometrics where they're looking, particularly in, in the public sector, they're looking to mitigate this by, by surfacing these bands. And what's happening, technology is getting around it, right? Now you saw, I mean, last week I saw an article in the New York Times about um, government agency using uh, these, uh, these uh, what do you call it? Uh, the, the, the things that fly and you just- Drones? Drones, drones yeah. They're using a AI enabled drones now, right? Um, to combat this, right? Um, that has facial recognition and it has all these things associated with it, right? But my point is, if regulations are still going after these edge, these, these technology bans, they're never gonna chase it. Technology will always evolve and rapidly evolve. They have to, Kind of really kind of focus on the framework. So first of all, I think if if if, if there's if you can articulate this, like by by a company that's manufacturing this stuff, if you're able to integrate um, privacy from the get go, that is the way to really achieve the uh, achieve the complexity. Look, from our perspective, we have various regulations. So whether it's in the APEC region or EMEA or other regions, the way the products are going to um, be utilized by our customers may may change, right? But as long as, let's, let's think of it in more simplistic terms, as long as we're developing the widgets, the capabilities behind these to allow the customer to implement these in, in, in a, in a uh, 
in a legal way, right? That's that's when we can get it right, right? And and, and that's what we're, we're seeing it happen over there. So, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, it, it, it's unfortunate the few bad actors are are having influence over the over the folks like others that are using this, these technologies, these capabilities in the right um, uh, uh, context. And but you know, it's just that I think overall regulators, as long as they kind of come back and just with that tech and look at a more of a framework basis, more um, and, and, and a capability basis versus going after the edge cases. I think we're still going to be kind of like the cat uh, chasing its tail uh, environment. How do you do that at scale? Like your company is so big, so global, so many products, owns other company, you know, like owns other companies and business lines and you're participating in many different markets you know and marketplaces and i can't imagine the privacy team is that big how do you you gotta how do you do that right, right. These novel issues right like how do you do that no I, absolutely absolutely you know i i'll put it i'll put it this way andy um look it's not a single like i talked about privacy by design right it's not a single um perspective it's a multi-pronged approach when we develop these commercial products and services it's not about just it doing a privacy impact assessment, right? It also encompasses training, encompasses um, literature or, or uh, data privacy for the, for the product itself to show, you know, what the transparency is behind, what is our, who's our sub-processors, who, how is, where is this information being stored and shared, shared, right? So I think along with being able to develop a product right way and providing that transparency behind the product and at the same time providing training and talking to your customer right and how to achieve this global compliance and the, this uh, the, and, and navigate through the global uh complexity of regulations we have around the world right so if you're there and and at the same time you put in postures such as frameworks at the same time looking at certifications right whether it's on the data privacy side or on the security side if you're achieving certifications i think that holistically kind of puts you as a competitive advantage and ability to kind of have your customers look at you and say, okay, you've done all these things. So therefore your products are, are trustworthy and are be able to integrate it across our ecosystem of, of, of offices around the world, right? How many times a day are you surprised? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, listen, I mean, you're being a little over a year into this job, um, I've learned a lot, right? <laughs> and just like any company, um, everyone has its corporate cultural differences, right? So, uh, so being surprised, I, I would say the frequency has definitely gone down, but it hasn't gone away. That's every job. That's every yeah. job. It's sort of every job with data involved for sure. Yeah, yeah but back to Pedro's question, or or if Andy you asked, but. Being in a role of a CPO, you know, it's like, you know, before we were able to just focus on, hey, this aspect of, of commercialization or this aspect of a, a framework, but now I've got, you know, everything from looking at um, employee data, HR data, to looking at uh, um, any type of breach scenario and uh, incidences along with com commercially uh, um, uh, providing guidance to our businesses and internal employees, right? So it's, and at a multinational stage, right? So, and obviously from a prices standpoint, there are certain 
uh, jurisdictions are, are just, you know, employees are just more savvy, more customer, more privacy savvy than others. So you get these questions from subject access rights requests to ability to say, hey, how are we doing this? And they want the double click, they want the triple click into understanding more, right? So balancing that is, is always, always a, a major challenge at times, but. It ain't um, no joke. No, it ain't no joke, man. That's a good way. That's a good way to put a bow on this conversation. <laughs> it ain't no joke. For yeah, sure. We do have to wrap it up, but you know, Pedro, last words. You want to ask uh, anything else? No, no man. Hey, Sasha, thanks for joining us, man. I can't wait to see you in person again. Uh, the three of us getting a drink at a conference is like a dream of mine that we need to do soon. Crazy, right? And, uh, I miss you. I miss you both, man. I can't wait to see you guys in person soon. Hey, buddy, you too. Definitely. Thanks, thanks for having me on, guys. This has been fun. I Talk to you guys for hours, but we'll hopefully pick this up at, 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 and not virtually, but in over a drink or so. Can't wait. <laughs> All right, guys. Awesome. Hey, man, thanks a lot. Thank you, brother. All right, guys. Thanks. Talk soon. Bye. Talk later.